Chapter Seventeen of Tom Playfair or Making a Start by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen, in which the prodigal returns. It is nigh upon four of the afternoon. Mister Meadow is pacing up and down the front apartment of his suite of rooms, taking huge strides, occasionally striking his clenched hands upon an unoffensive table bordering the line of his route and ever and anon stopping to glance savagely out of window mr meadow mutters now and then between his clenched teeth words which are mostly profanity and severe criticisms of his lost nephew in short mr meadow is very angry i'll cowhide the wretched little brat within an inch of his life if i ever get my hands on him this remark with the adjectives a trifle stronger than here set down issued from his lips as the last stroke of four came ringing through the air from a neighboring church and mr meadow made his periodical pause at the window front this time he gave a sudden gasp his eyes bulged from his head as far as the economy of his bodily frame would allow and he did stare he recovered himself by a strong effort made a remark which shall not be repeated then dashed down the stairway threw the front door open with vicious and unnecessary violence and could that be tom the figure walking up the front steps looked more like a young beggar and a very disreputable young beggar at that arthur vane in his proper costume looked like a gentleman in comparison with tom's present appearance arthur's hat on arthur's head had at least been in shape on tom's it was crushed as though it had been used as a substitute for a football on arthur the clothes though patched had been neat on tom they were splashed with mud while one patch on the knee was torn and a deep rent under the armpit revealed what kind of a shirt tom was wearing but the wretchedness of his appearance did not end with his garb his face was swollen and discolored and his upper lip was puffed out to a ridiculous degree mr meadow had seen tom in many a sad plight but the limit was reached on this occasion you brat you vulgar little beggar roared the uncle with an extra adjective come right in and i'll lash you with a cowhide tom paused halfway up the steps and tried to smile it was an awful failure probably he was willing enough to smile but his upper lip the most important part of his smiling apparatus refused to do its duty and so instead of smiling he succeeded in distorting his face still more thanks uncle he made answer but i guess i'll not come in i've been walloped enough have you been fighting you vulgar little gutter snipe continued the enraged uncle yes uncle answered the vulgar little gutter snipe backing down a few steps in preparation to take to his heels should need arise but i couldn't help it honest who whipped mr meadow was a sporting man his weakness asserted itself and tom was quick to see his chance see here uncle if you promise not to touch me i'll tell you all about it you young bagger what did you do with your own clothes promise not to whip me uncle and i'll tell you all about it were you robbed no but all my money's gone seventeen dollars and a half were you robbed promise not to whip me uncle and i'll tell you all about it it's as good as a story mr meadow took a step forward tom as quickly moved down to the foot of the steps stay where you are uncle or i'll run where did you go last night continued mr meadow less savagely 
for the humor of the situation was making its impression even upon him. Promise not to whip me, answered Tom firmly. I'll see about that after I've heard your story. Honest, uncle? Yes, honest. You won't whip me after I tell my story? I promise. Cross your heart, uncle? Confound you, yes. All right, then. And Tom ran up the steps with his usual spryness. Now, uncle, let me wash first. I feel awful sticky. Mr. Meadow deigned to supply the young gentleman with a basin of water. Tom threw off his coat, rolled back his shirt sleeves, and kept up a severe process of bathing for fifteen minutes without saying a single word. Well, snapped his uncle impatiently, who won the fight? Oh, I've got to change my clothes yet. These things are spoiled from Cincinnati mud. Wherever there was a puddle, I was sure to step right into it. You see, uncle, I was chased. Who chased you? Two dogs and, oh, wait, till I change. Mr. Meadow had to content himself for the next five minutes with grinding out remarks between his teeth, which, through a sense of decency, he did not wish to find way to Tom's ears. At length, Tom was apparently ready for his recital. With the exception of his face, he looked like the boy of yesterday and the day before. Well, now, let's hear your story. Tom took a sponge from his valise, wet it, and put it to his lip. Ah, he sighed in relief. That's just the thing. Did you hear me, sir? Oh, I beg your pardon. You wanted the story. That's what I said. And you remember your promise, uncle? Yes, you brat. You needn't call names. Well, uncle, I'm not going to tell you my story. Then you can't whip me. And he removed his sponge and smiled hideously. Mr. Meadow bounded from his chair. Tom made for the door. Will you keep your promise? he asked with his hand on the knob. Yes, come in. I'll not touch you. Go ahead with your story. I promise not to whip you in any case. Ah, oh, that's a bargain. You know, uncle, papa doesn't want you to whip me, so I thought it was fair to get ahead of you. Well, last night. And Tom then narrated his adventures up to the moment of his leaving the oyster house with five cents for car fare. And then, uncle, he continued, I thought how I could best please you. What exquisite consideration, growled the auditor. Wasn't it, uncle? I knew you wouldn't like me to come back without a cent in my pocket. And besides, I was afraid you might call me a lot of names and lose your temper. And you did, uncle. You swore dreadfully, and you said... Go on with your story, growled the affectionate young man. Tell me about the fight. I'm coming to it, sir. Well, then, I started to walk home along the street where those cars ran that we took yesterday. You see, uncle, I'd made up my mind to save that nickel. You've wonderful ideas about economy, snarled Mr. Meadow in parentheses. Well, when I'd walked about two squares, I came to an alley. It was an awful rough-looking place, uncle. There were three fellows leaning against a house on the alley corner when I came along, and before I knew where I was, they got on the outside of me and shut me into that alley. I never saw three rougher-looking boys since I gave up going to fires. And did you knock them all down? Ha! The wonder is they didn't knock me down first. The middle fellow seemed to be the ringleader. He was the smallest, about my size. He had two teeth that stuck out so as you could count them without trying. They were his higher teeth. Upper, you barbarian, corrected Mr. Meadow. Exactly. They were large teeth. Larger than yours, uncle. I really do. Go on, will you? Why don't you give me a chance? This is in the grammar class. Well, the fellow with the big teeth said, 
Say, give me chaw tobacco. And did you hit him? Tom looked at his uncle reproachfully. Do you think I'm a fool? I said I couldn't speak French, and the other two giggled. Then he looked so that I could count five teeth, and said in an awful savage way, just the way you were talking to me a minute ago, when— What did he say? burst in the excited listener. He said, Give me chaw tobacco. And then he used some words, something like what you— Go on. What did you do? I said, I don't talk German either. And then, before I could guess what he was up to, he gave me an awful whack on the lip, and he struck out again. I dodged the second blow, and I got so excited that, like a fool, I struck back with all my might, and he went sprawling. I struck him on the mouth, Uncle, and when he got up he was spitting and coughing, and I could only count one tooth. And what did you do then? I couldn't do anything, Uncle. The other two grabbed me tight, and while the fellow who used to have a loose tooth was choking and hopping round, and swearing whenever he could get his breath, the other two went through my pockets and got the silk handkerchief Aunt Meadow sent me on my birthday. A small magnet, a pocket knife, a lot of string, a broken Jew's harp, and my last nickel. And didn't you make any resistance? I squirmed and wriggled round, and when they'd emptied all my pockets, I ran as fast as I could till I turned the corner. And then I began to feel awful bad about that nickel. It was real hard to have to come home without it. So I turned back quietly and walked into a drug store on the opposite side of the street. I sneaked in while they weren't looking that way. The drug store had a big window looking out so as you could see into that alley for a whole block. I told the drug store man that I felt sick and that I'd like to sit down in his store for a while. He laughed when he looked at me and said, All right. Then I pulled a chair over to the window and watched those three fellows for over fifteen minutes. They were fussing just awfully about the handkerchief. The fellow with the tooth didn't get that. Then they had a row about the knife, and the fellow with the tooth came near having it knocked out, and he didn't get the knife anyhow. They gave him the string and the jewel's harp, and then they had an awful row about the nickel. They tossed it up and yelled, heads and tails, and shouted, and I don't know what all, till somehow or other the fellow with the tooth got that. You ought to have seen him. He jumped into the air and knocked his heels together three times and started out of the alley, just as proud as though he were a millionaire. And what did you do? I followed after him quietly, and when he'd got off about a square from the alley on a big crowded street, I caught up with him and touched him on the shoulder. He gave a little jump, but he didn't knock his heels together this time. See here, I said, give me back my nickel or I'll yell for a policeman. He put on a savage look and said, Don't you fool with me, or I'll fetch your one on the ear. And I said, if you do, I'll loosen your other tooth and yell for the policeman, too. Now hand over, or I'll shout. He looked around, and sure enough, there was a policeman turning the corner. He got pale and handed over that nickel. That wasn't bad, commented Mr. Meadow, forgetting his resolution to be stern and uncompromising with the young scapegrace. Then, of course, you started to find your way back. No, uncle. I began to think how bad Aunt Meadow would feel when she learned what had become of her pretty Christmas present, and how bad you'd feel about that old knife which you gave me the time you bought a new one. Don't be sentimental, growled Mr. Meadow in disgust. Tom stared. So I thought I'd go back and see what were my chances for the old knife and the pretty handkerchief. When I got there, it all seemed to be arranged just the way I wanted. The two fellows were squatting down on a board about twenty feet in the alley, playing at mumble-peg with my knife, and the fellow who was farthest had my nice handkerchief flying round his neck. 
They were bigger than I, but I saw a good chance. I didn't stop to stare, but came running up softly while both had their hands down watching their game, and grabbed that handkerchief and kept running right on through the alley without stopping to say anything. Good, said Mr. Meadow, unable to contain his enthusiasm. Go on. Well, they gave a yell, and before I'd got halfway down the alley, there was a rushing out of people from back gates, and two dogs came flying at my legs, and a billy goat got right in my way, and would have broken my neck if I hadn't jumped over him. And the dogs barked and snapped, and the boys kept yelling, and the people kept crowding out, and just as I got to the corner of the alley, a lot of stones and things came sailing after me, and a pebble or something hit me on the leg. And then I went into an awful puddle, came plump against a boy with red hair and sent him sprawling here tom lost his breath i don't know how i ever got out of that alley alive the last thing i did was to kick a bull pup in the ribs he howled like he was crazy and then i was halfway up the street i looked round then and found that they weren't chasing me then i got off some of the mud and started for home and now uncle i'm sorry and awful hungry and tom looked at mr meadow pathetically hand over that nickel young man for the first time since his return, the prodigal lost countenance. I haven't got it, Uncle. Oh, you spent that, too. No, sir, I, er, I gave it away. Tom had become very nervous and awkward. Whom did you give it to? No answer. Did you hear me? To a poor fellow I met. Come on, Uncle, and give me something to eat. Tom did not reveal the whole story. There was some modesty in his composition. When the boy with the tooth had surrendered the nickel to its proper owner, Tom had noticed the sullen face of the poor wretch lengthened in disappointment. In a flash, the words recorded in the sole entry in his diary, Vinegar never catches flies, recurred to him. He ran up to the boy, who, with his shoulders raised and his head depressed, was creeping away and touched him lightly again. "'Keep off!' cried the fellow with a snarl. "'You and me's quits!' No, we're not, said Tom. Old fellow, you need this nickel more than I do. And he pressed it into the lad's hand. It's all I've got with me, but I wish it was more, and I'm sorry about that tooth of yours. As Tom turned away, he left the poor little wrench gasping, mouth and eyes wide open, and the little brain within pondering over the only sermon that had ever came home to it. Tom walked on, light of heart and happy. It can't do him any harm, he reflected, and maybe it'll do him good. Then someone touched his shoulder. Say, exclaimed the toothless one, almost out of breath, for he had had some trouble in picking Tom out of the crowd. Say, Johnny, I'll never act that way again, never. Do you catch on? It was an order for Tom to improve the occasion by saying something pious and edifying. But Tom didn't follow the traditions of the book. He merely grinned, gave his penitent a hearty hand squeeze, and said not one word. This part of the story, as I said, he concealed from Mr. Meadow, but that gentleman inferred something of it, and was so pleased with his inference that he gave Tom but a quarter of an hour's scolding, which he salvaged with a twenty-five cent piece and a good dinner. End of chapter 17 Recording by Maria Therese